Travels with John Smith, Chapter 47, Year 7, 2018, Brunei, Kuala Lumpur. There are 20 to 30 monkeys climbing up and down date trees and jumping and running around like a street gang around the swimming pool below us. We are standing on the balcony of our absolutely gorgeous room at the Empire Hotel, just outside Bandar Seri Begawan, the capital of Brunei. Brunei is a small country, approximately 400,000 people, on the island of Borneo, sandwiched between Indonesia and Malaysia. They have a king or sultan, and he is one of the richest royals in the world. His net worth is about 20 billion. In the 1980s, he was the richest man in the world. His money came from oil and natural gas, and the people who are citizens of his country don't have to pay income tax. They have free education, even getting scholarships for university from the government, whether they study at home or abroad. Free health care. If they need an operation that cannot be done in Brunei, they are sent to Singapore, paid for by the government. A pension scheme, paid for by the government, but also an extra one that is a worker scheme. A housing scheme. Everyone has the right to own a house, so there are many schemes to help them including low to no interest uh, loans, subsidized food, and gas. The sultan himself lives in the largest residential palace in the world, called the Instana Nurul Iman. There are over 1,700 rooms, including over 250 bathrooms, a huge mosque, big enough for 1,500 people, five swimming pools, and a stable with a couple hundred ponies. He likes polo. He has a thing for nice cars, so has collected approximately $5 billion worth of Rolls-Royce, Ferraris, etc., and has at least a couple of private jets. Once a year, on his birthday, the sultan opens the doors to his palace and anyone can come and meet him. Thousands of people come and he shakes every person's hand, the men, because he's Muslim, and his wife, the queen, shakes the women's hands. They also prepare food and every person that comes can eat from a massive buffet prepared by his staff. Our hotel has two swimming pools, a Japanese restaurant, Asian fusion buffet, which includes local food, an Italian restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, a 24-hour bakery that also makes homemade ice gelato and ice cream, several large ponds, a couple private beaches, a golf course, and a cinema. It's kind of like a palace itself. There are golf buggies available from each entrance to take us to the many different buildings that make up the hotel. 
there are about three to four stories of ceiling-to-floor windows with a view of the sea that is breathtaking. It is quite possibly the nicest hotel we have ever stayed in, except for the Maldives. We try to book the Fusion Asian Buffet, but it's fully booked. Apparently it's so popular that one must book at least a day in advance. So we opt for the Japanese restaurant, which does not dis- disappoint. While we are eating our dinner, it rains so hard there is a flood outside, and when we leave, we wade through water that is ankle-deep directly outside the restaurant. We're back in the room, and I unpack my bag. When I packed it, there were two pairs of sandals and one pair of flip-flops, which had been packed in the outside pockets of my backpack. When we were at the airport, I noticed I only had one flip-flop, so I knew the other one had fallen out somewhere. I threw the second one away. Now I notice that I also only have the right sandal of both pairs of sandals. I might be losing my mind. Here we are in an upmarket hotel, and all I have for my feet is a pair of running shoes. We pass a crocodile, sunning itself on the side of the Brunei River, as we approach the mangroves, where we are meant to see the endangered proboscis monkeys. We are the only passengers on an open-deck wooden longboat, with our cheeky boat driver. He steers the boat right into the trees, hitting against the huge roots that grow into the swampy waters. He steps out of the boat onto the base of the trees and tells us to join him. My eyes scan the water for any sneaky crocs or snakes, but decide our guide will probably see them before we do. He becomes very excited and says to look up at the trees, and we squint up against the bright sky at the dark silhouette of the trees, and we see the long tails curling upwards. Then we see them move like shadows to a lower or higher branch. My iPhone can't or doesn't catch much more than the movement, and we can't see their famous noses. But every once in a while, we see the tails and the golden-orange color. Our guide laughs and tells us he brought some Chinese people here earlier, and there were no monkeys at all. So I guess we are lucky. We go back towards the town, going through the Kampong Ayer, the network of stilt villages built over the Brunei River. There are about 40,000 people living here, and they have electricity, schools, police station, fire station, and a mosque. Our guide says the newer houses are worth about $60,000. The Sultan Omar Ali Saifudian Mosque is close to the jetty where we caught our boat. There is a 171-foot golden dome on top that can be spotted from almost anywhere in the city, but the best view is directly in front, as there is a pond in front that reflects the mosque and the blue skies in its water, and it is postcard pretty. Earlier, we went to the Qianrong Mosque, 
which is the newer of the two famous mosques in town. It's really beautiful, too, with a gorgeous fountain in front and 29 golden domes outside and white and blue mosaic tiles. We were able to see some of the beautiful large stairways, halls, and rooms inside of this mosque, but we both had to wear long-sleeved black robes that covered our bodies almost to the ankles to be admitted. In the taxi we took to the mosque, there were pictures on the inside of the windows of what is not okay. No durian, it's a stinky fruit. No smoking, no fast food, and no kissing. We are walking around the Royal Regalia Museum, marveling at all the many gifts that had been given, have been given to the Sultan, displayed in glass cases around the large room. There is a large gold chariot in the middle of the room, a cannon, and several round bright gold shields and swords off to the side. It's more interesting than I thought it would be, but I want to get back to the pool. We are on our way to sit by the large swimming pool today. I catch a glimpse of something long and slithery swimming with the two to three inch goldfish in the pond that surrounds our building. It is about three meters long from head to tip of tail and it's a monitor lizard. We stop and watch it for a while thinking it's there to feast on the fish. Some kids come along with their parents and start throwing bits of bread into the water. The lizard pushes its way past the fish to grab the bread when a, suddenly a much larger lizard jumps in front of him or her to grab the food for him themselves. This creates some squealing and excitement with the kids and John and I. At the pool, we are pampered by the pool staff and we notice a few more European-looking foreigners, so I strike up a conversation with two women who say hello. They are expats, residents of Brunei. One has been living here for 16 years, married to someone who works for Hagendas. Another for three years. Her husband works for an airline company. They seem to like living here. The weather is great, but they say it's expensive because everything is imported. They say that all the teachers here are foreign, and they make good money, are given good money for housing, but if that person wants a pool, they need to pay a little extra, which makes sense to me. They say that all the advantages to living here are for the locals, not the residents, which also makes sense to me. The expats sound like they have a pretty good life. They come to the hotel every morning to use the gym and have a dip in the pool. Their main complaints are the lack of alcohol, because this is a Muslim country. They tell us about a country club where the foreigners go so they can drink. I don't mention that I don't drink. When they find out I can sing, they want me to come and sing with the house band. One of them offers to pick John and I up and drive us there. She tells us she'll come and get us tomorrow night at 7. We are walking towards the parade grounds with hundreds of other people. 
I'm sure we look a little out of place as we are the only foreigners around. We pass small groups of people, women in matching traditional head cover known as tudong and long dresses covering their bodies and men in uniforms. Today is a national holiday and the festive spirit is in the air. This is the day that Brunei received its independence from the UK in 1984. Our driver told us the Sultan will be at the parade. We're not sure what to expect, but everyone at the hotel seemed very excited about it, so we thought we should see what it's all about. We were told we should come to the studio very early if we want to get a seat, so we got up at five at their suggestion. We have been sitting for more than a couple hours on hard benches, so my bottom and my knees are getting sore. People are handing out little Brunei flags with little wooden stands to stick them in, so we are waving them about. The stadium is only a little bigger than our track football field at the school, and the bleachers are packed. There is a giant sign of the Sultan on the right side of the field, smiling down on us. Three black limousines pull into the arena and the sultan, his wife, and a couple other people get out and shake various hands. They walk up the red carpet to the two large golden thrones that are now on the open grandstand across the field from us. The royal family are now standing in front of the thrones and there are soldiers with matching uniforms marching around the field with kilts and guns over their shoulders. Another group march out with different uniforms and bagpipes. Another group with different matching colors and flags. Another group with different matching outfits and musical instruments. It's been two hours since the parade started, and there has been procession after procession of people in matching outfits or uniforms, and most are holding signs, and there has been one musical group that also had a kind of dance routine. I'm hungry and hot. The sun has come up and is beating directly down on the bleachers where we are. The sultan and his wife have remained standing for the entire parade, impressively, so I can't imagine how tired they are feeling. The only other foreigners in this crowd are the odd small group of Chinese people. They stand out because they are taking selfies with some of the soldiers standing guard on the edge of the field without the guard's knowledge. There are some friendly locals sitting near us who answer our questions about what it's like to live in Brunei. Everything they say confirms what we have heard from others or read. They tell us that every group that comes out is from some section of the government, so it's basically a parade of people honoring the sultan. We decide to leave before everyone else does, so we walk back towards our driver and on the way buy some local food sold from the many food stalls along the road. It's incredibly cheap. We buy a couple things to have a picnic back at the hotel. It's eight o'clock and our new friends haven't come to get us yet. We are hungry and tired due to getting up so early.
I find her phone number and call. She says they will be late. We start calculating how late it will be when we finally get to eat and how difficult to get back to the hotel, which is not close to the expat place, and and decide to stay at the hotel. There is a special Brunei food menu to honor the holiday at the Italian restaurant. So we have a delicious meal, learn a bit more about the culture here, and have an early night. We are standing barefooted, looking through the glass floor we are standing on, to the buildings and traffic 86 stories below. It's hard to really get a feel for it, as the guard is telling us we only get five minutes to take the pictures. There is a lineup behind us. We are on the top floor of the Kuala Lumpur Tower. We went up the Petronas Twin Towers when we were here the first time, over a week ago. But this is actually better, because we are outside, wind whipping our hair in every direction. To go up the Petronas Tower, we had to come early, wait in a long lineup and buy tickets to go up in a few hours' time. We can see those towers from our hotel room, which is pretty cool. We can add it to our list of amazing views from hotels that are etched into our memories. Another Blue Mosque moment. We are staying in a hotel in the center of town, so it's pretty easy to walk to most of these places. Using the wonderful Bukit Bintang pedestrian walkways that let you avoid the traffic below. Kuala Lumpur is a pretty full-on place, like Singapore, but a little crazier. There are so many malls, but in most is the same stuff we can get anywhere. I know normally I get excited about shopping, but I'm trying to keep the luggage down to the bags we have with us. All our flights on this holiday, apart from the return flight from Wuhan to Bangkok, are with Air Asia, and as they are a cheap airline, they have a strict baggage code. They say it's because they want to keep the the cabin weight down, but as John pointed out, they don't weigh the people. They allow seven kilos total for your carry-on and your purse or small backpack combined. The bags weigh at least two kilos with nothing in them. We are grateful we left a lot of stuff that we bought at the weekend market in Bangkok. Coming and going from Myanmar, they weighed our stuff at the boarding gate, and we had to repack stuff between us and hide other stuff, carry books in our hands, and wear more clothes. So now I have a small backpack, and that's it. Air Asia is not helping the economy in these cities it flies to. The first night we got here, we walked to a street that was full of bars that serve food. Each place had a specialty food, and there were people out out front of each one trying to convince us to come in. We settled on a place called Havana because it had nice tables outside and looked more like a restaurant but was still hopping with people and music and activity. The food was so good that we went back there again last night. All the hotels we booked on this holiday have pools, 
as we are not going to any beaches this time, but we still want the sun quota. This hotel has an okay pool, but we overhear a guy complaining to the staff that it hasn't been cleaned, and since there are lots of little kids around, we all know what that means, and we don't notice an outdoor shower, we stick to suntanning. The weather hasn't been great since we got here anyway. It's been raining in sudden and full-on bursts, so we spend more time in the room. Near the hotel, there is also a huge hawker area with all kinds of local street food, but neither of us are feeling great, so our Malaysian food is limited to what we can get at the hotel. There are many people celebrating Chinese New Year here, and the decorations and mood reflect this. Kuala Lumpur, otherwise known as KL, has a population of about 7 million, if you count the surrounding area. There are mostly Malay and then Chinese and then Indian and other. There is a Chinese and an Indian quarter, and the city reflects the mix of cultures. We checked out most of the things you are supposed to see here in KL, but Malaysia is so spread out, we feel we have only scratched the surface with the two places we have been, KL and Kota Kinabalu, at Christmas. If we stay in China, we'll come back next year and get to know Malaysia a little better. The campus is in bright pink bloom. Fruit trees are alive with color. Clover covers the grass that needs cutting, and the air is beginning to feel heavy and thick with humidity. John and I have decided we will stay another year, hopefully to save a bit of money. This will probably be the last job we have with an actual paycheck, so we'll try to make the most of it for one more year. At work, everything moves along much like always. There are fun punctuations along the way, like the tea house, where there are new players and old coming together to make music. Murder and the Juice Joint, where we got to dress up like 1920s gangsters and flapper girls, along with 20-some others, and play our roles while trying to work out who the murderers were, are two high points. The rest is dealing with the day-to-day where the students are usually the high point. The graduating class this year is the last class I taught when they were in grade 10, so it's good to see them off into the world. Next week is midterm exam time, and soon after, another holiday, another adventure. Mm -hmm.